Kylie, what's going on? I'm so pumped to have you on the show. I appreciate you being here. Oh, I'm stoked. Uh, really excited to be on your and honored to be on your podcast. I think we've been colleagues and, and friends for a couple of years now. So it, it's great to be here. Let's go. Amen. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pumped. You know, I, uh, I always like to give a little intro to the guests that I have on the show. You're somebody that's near and dear to my heart. We've we've kind of been, I would say, friends now for the last like two, three years, just going through like mentorship stuff together, um, being like accountability partners when it comes to business and just kind of touching base a lot, going through a lot of similar stuff in like our growth path when it came to like our business, starting it up and like getting to where we are today. So uh, I just, I have a lot of respect for you and it's been fun to take that journey alongside you and learn from you along the way. Um Aside from that, I've also learned a fuck ton from you, from your content that you you know post on social media, just your approach to, to nutrition, especially on the performance side of things. Uh, I'll let you give your spiel in a second. But for the listeners that have listened to a lot of my podcasts, I am more of the hypertrophy, like resistance training, lifting guy, uh, body recomposition, building muscle, losing fats traditionally has been kind of the, the world that I've existed in since I've started my own business. The performance side of things being something I enjoy doing, but not my primary focus. And I think a ton of people do a really good job in this space when it comes to working with endurance athletes like yourself doing ultra, you know, marathon runs and all this crazy stuff. Um, I've learned a ton from you and what you've posted on social media. Um, and I'd argue that you're one of the best in the business. So it's, uh, it's really a pleasure to have you on and I'm excited to talk about things that I don't normally talk about, which we'll kind of get to it. Red S eating disorder stuff, disordered eating patterns, um, just kind of like consequences of not eating enough, especially as it pertains to your, your fitness levels and your performance. So, um, I'm done introducing you let, you know, I'll let you do a two, three minute spiel on who you are, what you do, kind of how you got here. And then we'll go from there. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So as uh, Luke mentioned, I uh, am Kylie Van Horn, uh, owner of Fly Nutrition. Uh, and we, I say we, because I do have a co-dietitian, Emily. Uh, we work with endurance athletes on performance nutrition. Um, uh, we do work uh, extensively with athletes that uh, are re trying to recover from Red S, uh, which we'll go over in a bit, and eating disorders. Uh, but that's not all we do. I'd say that that might be you know, about 40% of what, who we work with. We do a lot of performance nutrition for triathletes, runners, skiers, ultra runners, cyclists, um, the whole gamut of endurance sports. Um, and that's kind of, you know, was my dream when I started my business back in 2018. I, I've grown up in an endurance background, uh, been running since I was about 10 years old. And I really wanted to combine my love for sport and give back to the sport, uh, in a career choice, which honestly I thought might be possible, but like, it's the, the business side of things, like it's been a kind of a dream come true to be able to do this, uh, as my profession long term here. Um, so yeah, I, I, my, the evolution of my career has gone from I was pre-veterinary medicine, uh, got a degree in that, went back to school for nutrition uh, in 2011, and then got my RD in 2018, and that's when I started my, my business. Um, and it's been amazing to be able to kind of see it unfold. 
Love it. Love it. Tell me about kind of your background. I don't think I actually know a ton about it, at least from like a, from an athletic standpoint, what you grew up doing. I know you uh, ran D1 in college, right? And just kind of the uh, progression of your athletic career and then maybe where you're at today and, and kind of maybe your outlook on it and how that's changed over time. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I grew up, my dad was a elite runner. Um, and I started running when I, at a young age and then I, I ran in college at the university of Richmond, uh, track and cross country. And then after I graduated there, when I went back to get my nutrition degree, um, I ended up using a season of eligibility at the school that I went to in Denver, uh, which was pretty cool. Um, but I, I was out in Colorado, uh, training for try and qualify for Olympic trials and the marathon, uh, missed that, but also again, got to use a season of eligibility, um, for my remaining season in track at Metro state university, uh, in Denver, and then made the switch to trail running, um, what I kind of around the time I met my husband in 2013, um, cause he's a big ultra, um, trail athlete and ski mountaineer. So now we live up in the mountains near Aspen. And so I've been dabbling in more, um, uh, trail, trail running, ultra running, um, and ski mountaineering and that sort of thing. Um, so, so that's kind of my evolution in sport and, as I mentioned, uh, was pre-veterinary medicine, uh, decided not to go the vet route. Uh, I am a huge animal lover though. And I have two Aussies that I am obsessed with. (laughs) We, we both have a love for dogs. I know you do too, Luke. Uh, um, but yeah, so, uh, switched from pre-veterinary medicine to nutrition. And, um, I have in the, in between there, I've worked, um, for Ironman North America. So I put it on triathlons, Um, I have been involved in race production for about 12 years. I still help put on a marathon locally. And then I am a running coach as well uh, with microcosm coaching. Uh, So I've been a run coach since (laughs) 2009. Um, So I have like multiple different areas that I've kind of been involved with um, sport wise. Uh, But it's been, been nice to be able to combine all the endurance things into like one career choice. Totally. Which, which is dog sports now, right? <laughs> that was funny. You mentioned that because mm-hmm. I actually wrote down uh, dogs because I know you're so active with them and it's fun to to follow you and in, in just including them. Right. And I, I think that's such a fun thing too, because like just thinking out loud here, like, I think there's so much of an identity, you know, um, drilled into athletes in, in maybe that being their only identity, like for a really large period of their time. And then when you get to like, post college or maybe post, you know, um, competitive, you know, running or competing, whatever sport that is that you do. And it's like that set, like the level of competition kind of dissipates or disappears. It's almost like people are left with this identity crisis. And unless you feel that that can be very like draining and very scary for some people. And I don't know why I'm saying this out later. It just, what's come to mind, but like having a dog or something else that you're like so passionate about that you can like use is like maybe the next chapter in your life or just add that to what you're currently doing. You know, you don't have to compete at the highest level all the time, like doing these things as a hobby, doing them for fun, and then finding ways to like incorporate other things that you care about around you into that. Maybe it's like getting your partner into it or exploring different types of, you know, trails, or maybe you try 
um, trail biking instead of running. It's like, once you start to like remove yourself from like a really competitive standpoint, performance driven only thing, then you, I think can start to reap the benefits and, and enjoy what the sport actually has to offer without just trying to kill yourself to compete at the highest level all the time. And maybe that for some people looks like bringing their dogs into it, doing agility with them every week, and then taking them into the trails and like enjoying life that way. So, um, I just think that's a really funny thing to like bring up because I've definitely been in that period of my life as well. So yeah. And I think, I mean, I think this goes in with the podcast topic a little bit that like, you know, if you get your entire identity wrapped up in one thing and then something goes wrong, then how are you going to respond to that? Um, and for a lot of people, like it, they end up shattered, you know, and they, they don't know what to do and they feel really lost and um, feel like they might not have a purpose or community um, so having some other interests, I think is really important, uh, when you are, even if you are a high level athlete, like having something else to give you that maybe escape from, <laughs> you know, that singular focus on a sport or performance, I think can be really, a really important thing. Yeah. Agreed. I kind of want to stick on this like identity topic for a second, because I think it's really relevant to what I want to transition to, which is this concept of like Red S, formerly known as the, the female, you know, triad, like, or sorry, the, um, um, is it the female athlete triad? I think they switched it from more female to like more general encompassing men with the Red S stuff too. We can talk about it. Um, definitely your area. But I think what I'm trying to say is like, you have this identity and then with that, people find themselves going to the extreme with everything, you know, within their power to try and reach what they think their full potential is. And some of that might, you know, be doing more harm than good in certain cases, things like overtraining, not taking enough rest days. I'm trying to change the way they look. Maybe it's trying to lose fat because they think they have to model like a certain um, physique or figure um, because the person or the athlete that they look up to looks a certain way. So that leads to maybe chronic dieting or restrictive eating patterns or um, even just kind of uh, struggling mentally with like these conversations that they're having in their, their head of like what it means to be healthy, what it means to be the best. And a lot of these things can really just I've seen, at least I know you can relate as well, have actually hurt people and gotten them further from maybe their full potential, maybe their best PR and whatever sport that they're doing. Um, but it's it seems counterintuitive because you think that going to the extreme with everything would make you better and squeeze out every inch of potential when in reality you go backwards with that. So um, I just, I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, hey, people oftentimes develop this identity in what ways do you see that, you know, being a positive thing for some people, but then also how, how that can negatively impact people in a way that is working against them and whatever it is that's important to them for their sport, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think like, if you think about sport and kind of dedicating yourself to something, um, I think sport can be mean different things to different people, but it does oftentimes give them like this, team or community feel that they might not feel like they have in other areas of their life. Um, and then also like, I'm all about goals, competition. Like I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, so, so figuring out like what you want to do to try and achieve, like what kind of goals you want to set for yourself. I think it's great to have goals to work towards. Um, but I think that then like you were mentioning, 
like when you take those things to the extreme and you put all your eggs in one basket and then say something where to go wrong, then that's all pulled out from under you. And then what do you have to fall back on? And so that's, that's where I see um, the problems kind of occur. And then also um, in the red ass and eating disorder space, um, you know, trying, striving so hard to um, fit a nutrition ideal or um, a body image ideal that you think is what you need to achieve um, can truly backfire on you. Even if it doesn't appear like that at first, you know, like you might be experiencing some successes um, doing certain things with your nutrition um, at an extreme level, but then down the road, you know, two years, three years, like it could take time. And then that's when it starts to catch up to you. And I think, um, I think that's what people miss sometimes. And like, even from a, like a physique or body composition change side of things. Um, I think, you know, there are certain things that you want to keep in mind, even like extreme practices to change body composition, it's not sustainable long term. So you've got to figure out a better way to to kind of keep a more balanced approach, in my opinion. Totally, totally. And I kind of want to just create this like hypothetical scenario, which I think will be a good pivot into what Red S is and the stuff that we've been kind of dancing around right now. Um, but maybe relating more to your population. And I, I feel like a lot of people can relate to this as well. Or maybe we have somebody who and I'll give two kind of caveats here. Maybe we have somebody who's been running their whole life. Maybe they did track in high school or cross country or whatever sport it was. Maybe they played at the collegiate level, the you know, um, uh, semi-pro level. They they continue to just pursue that passion. Um, over time, right? There's this sense of like, um, uh, there's this mindset of like, in order to increase my potential, X things need to happen. I need to train my ass off. Um, I also maybe need to, look a certain way. And even though this is controversial of like, Hey, this thought of like, maybe if I lost five pounds, I could be a quicker runner and shave 10 seconds off my mile time. Right. Or maybe if I, if I spent a lot of time in the gym and got stronger, I could improve my sprint time or my finish time by X amount of times, or maybe I could last, you know, without any GI distress or whatever in the 15th, 16th, you know, mile of my marathon, you know, there's these like, thoughts where it's like, Hey, how can I squeeze out every inch of performance here? And usually what happens along the way is like these extremes start to show up. Maybe it's dieting. Maybe it's chronically restricting yourself. Maybe it's not fully understanding like how all the macronutrients and micronutrients play into your performance and your energy output and your energy balance. And maybe you're sacrificing these things because you think by losing five pounds or 10 pounds or, or dropping however much amount of weight is going to make you faster or make you feel better. Um, and oftentimes what happens is maybe people go through cycles of this. This is where this like disordered eating pattern can maybe come into play where it's like, there's these seasons where you're chronically under eating, or maybe you're fasting going into your long runs in the morning, or maybe, you know, you're, you're going day by day being afraid to eat food because you don't want to gain weight. And it's the fear of gaining weight that it's feeding into this like performance driven type of like nutrition where, Hey, if I just change all these things with my diet, I'm going to end up, you know, in a better place because of that. And then they pair that with like training their ass off, working out a lot, you know, 
increasing their volume with their runs throughout the course of the week, maybe not taking enough rest days. And it's just this perfect recipe for like either overtraining, underfueling, and then leading to some of these really, in a lot of cases, really significant and scary kind of like health outcomes, but also performance outcomes that could be a real detriment to what your overarching goal actually is. Um, and one of that being red S, which is relative energy deficiency. And I'd love for you to maybe say, Hey, that story is wrong or that doesn't happen. Or I've seen that a lot. And then with that, what are some of the consequences that come alongside that? Um, maybe hitting red S along the way so we can go into that side of the world too. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important to to remember that this can happen to anyone. It's not just, um, it's not just like elite athletes or pro athletes, et cetera. Um, red S doesn't discriminate, uh, neither do eating disorders. So, um, looking at red S specifically, it, it typically does occur as that it can be intentional or unintentional. So we have like two sides to the coin here. Um, and intentional, um, under fueling, uh, essentially can come from chronic dieting and like being in a deficit for way too long or, and not matching that to the needs of your sport. It could be a huge um, energy deficit as a result of like someone trying to lose weight or change body comp because they're unfamiliar with like how to do that in a more responsible way. So like, you know, thousand calorie plus deficit, et cetera. Um, it could be intentional as a result of having an eating disorder. Um, and so like the mental health component there. Um, and then on the unintentional side of things, um, just not knowing like, oh, I actually do need this much nutrition to support the amount of training I'm doing, um, or also having a training bump and then keeping nutrition the same and being like, oh shoot, like I was under fueling and I did increase my training. And then it, you know, down the line, red S shows up, uh, uh, and you know, I, there are going to be times where people, I want to clarify there are going to be times where you might not be able to meet your nutrition needs like on the day or um you know a day or two um and that that can happen that's totally normal we want to try and minimize those things and but you can make up for that in the following days and try and like get yourself you know going again um but this is a result of over time you have this extensive like not fueling enough to support yourself training wise. Um, and then as a result, we start to see um, body systems affected by this under fueling and not matching it to your training needs. And that's relative energy deficiency in sport. And kind of, as you were mentioning earlier, like this whole thing started with the female athlete triad, but we realized, or we, not me, but like they realized that um, it was not all encompassing for um, male athletes. And then also um, it was not all encompassing for the body systems that were being affected and the symptoms that people were experiencing. So we need, they needed to have a, you know, more overarching, like uh, broader term for, for things. And that's where Red S came from. That was back in, um, I think it was 2014, the IOC came out with Red S. Yeah. And for the people who don't know, the female, um, athlete triad, I think was like classified as like, if you lost your period or you weren't menstruating, 
Um, you had like mm-hmm. poor bone density. And then again, this like, I think a very like broad concept of like low energy, like availability, just fatigue, just mm-hmm. poor recoverability. I think there was a lot of things that can maybe classify as that, but it was like, those were the like thought to be at the time, the three biggest signs of like, Hey, something is wrong or you're not eating enough. Or, um, there's kind of this like, you know, increase in activity output and energy expenditure and a decrease or an insufficient calorie intake coming in. And it led to this plethora of like problems. Right. And and then red S is essentially like looking at the other consequences. In addition to those three things, things like, um, your metabolic health, menstruation, again, um, you know, your immunity, like your body's resilience to infection, um, even injury prevention, um, cardiovascular health, like even psychological changes. Like there's a lot of things that I think encompass this red S now that's a little bit more comprehensive, not to mention it also encompasses like men as well, where the other side was maybe more female, um, focused. So I think, um, we've progressed a long way, but yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely been more of a concept that I've seen more in the literature now and, and things that I've seen or have been exposed to more working in the sports space, but I still think it's like under diagnosed or under talked about. And that's where people like you bringing it to surface, having your own course on it, I think, I think is really important. Why we're doing talking about this podcast today is just to expose people to some of the sides of, you know, the dangers of not eating enough training too hard and doing that for a long period of time. And just the havoc that it can in, inflict on your body. So. Yeah. And I, I want to, because I know your podcast is not just endurance athletes. I want to emphasize like yep. other athletes can experience this as well. It's not just endurance athletes. So, um, you know, just throwing that out there. And then also, um, you mentioned, uh, some of the body systems affected, but we can see it affecting like you know, almost everything. And I kind of liken it to, um, your body is kind of dimming the lights on the different systems in the body. And so everyone might have different side effects as a result of that. And that's why red S is all more all encompassing. So that's why they kind of change things. One of the reasons why they changed the term, um, because they, they're recognizing that it can affect like pretty much all body systems. <laughs> um, sure. and, and even from a, you know, mental health, psychological standpoint, uh, as well as, uh, you mentioned a good majority of them, but, um, um, like blood markers, the hematological system, uh, endocrine system, metabolic system. And then, you know, you mentioned the immune system, gastrointestinal cardiovascular, like it's pretty much everything. So, Absolutely. um, um, and I think that's where, uh, it, it can be hard too to tease out, like, is this red S or is this something else? But I think that having this conversation about like, oh, this could be a possibility is really important. And that's where I've gotten kind of frustrated as a dietitian is I'll have athletes go to a doctor and they have GI stuff going on and they'll go to a doctor and the doctor's like, oh, it's just runner's diarrhea or it's just, you know, IBS. And they don't even look at the diet dietary component. Uh, they don't consider, they don't even know what red S is. And I'm hopeful that maybe as we have these conversations that more medical professionals will be educated on what it, what is this red S thing that we're hearing more about? Um, 
I don't expect doctors to know everything, but at the same time, you know, when you're seeing athletes continuously have these issues and then they can be fixed with fueling, (laughs) it's like something that I wish more uh, medical professionals were aware of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree 100% there. And uh, I, I appreciate you bringing up again the fact that like, yeah, you don't have to be an ultra runner to do this or to feel this. Like normal people in their normal day-to-day 100% can experience this and go through this. And at least for my population as well, um, the people who are like trying to be generally healthy, um, a lot of times there's this like overemphasis or this like um, um, this obsession with like working out as much as you can in the beginning, you know, and then and then trying to diet down to lower calories, kind of like you alluded to, very big deficit you pair the hit training with that and you're doing that five times a week, six times a week. Um, like you said, there's going to be days where maybe you don't feel as good, or maybe you don't hit your numbers for the day, or you don't eat that, you know, same nutrient breakdown is what you know you should, but you can get back on track the next day. But I think one of the biggest differences is like, and whether you're intentionally trying to do this or not, but there's this intention with like being really, you know, um, obsessed and really going balls to the wall with some of these things that, this is likely an outcome or um, a side effect of doing that for too long. And I, um, yeah, I just, I, I keep coming back to like, how, how does this start and how does this manifest? And I'll speak to at least maybe what I've seen a lot working with people, working with humans is like a lot of times people often become dissatisfied with one of two things, their body or the way they look or their performance or their lack of progress in whatever it is that they're doing, lifting weights, running cycling, like uh, doing whatever sport that they're playing. There's like oftentimes this impetus where it's like, Hey, I, I'm not happy with one of these things, Um, which then leads to the next decision of like, well, something needs to change. And the next measure for a lot of people comes from, well, I just need to train harder or more, or I need to maybe eat less or change the way I look and thinking that is going to get me to where I want to be. Um, or a combination of both of those together in a lot of certain cases, right? And then it's that act of like thinking that if I change the way I look, or if I just go harder, then I'll automatically get to where I want to be thinking that that's the only way to get there. Um, And then I think that's where like having a coach or following accounts on social media to like challenge and reframe some of those mindsets is super important. But I think at some level, a lot of people go through that. Now, whether they develop red S or develop some of these like low, you know, energy availability, like kind of symptoms, like, you know, might not be permanent, but a lot of times with like athletes, this is where we see even bodybuilders too, like in the populations that I see and, and exposed to on occasion, it's like you go through years of your life, decades of your life for some people going through these extremes, you bet your ass. That's when we start to see the prevalent prevalent prevalence of this. Gosh, I can't talk, start to increase a little bit more. Right. Um, do you kind of see maybe that, Hey, that's the starting point for a lot of people. Or are there other things that you would acknowledge that like, Hey, this could be a reason why. And then my other question would be, how do we know that we are struggling with some of these things? I know know we talked about some symptoms already, but how do we identify as like, hey, is this a problem? And then what should we do about that kind of thing? So kind of a lot going on there, but feel free to answer that in whatever order you like. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I think that you're pretty much spot on with, um, you know, how people can kind of get themselves into a red S situation. I think when we look at, when we look at eating disorders, um, uh, all individuals are, are facing, you know, possible genetic predispositions, um, trauma, 
identity fears, body dissatisfaction, cultural influence in the media, et cetera. Um, and then when, when we look at athletes too, and eating disorders, um, looking at, uh, you know, reveal, like if you have this focus on body image in sport and there's a lot of, like, we know our weight class sports, our endurance sports, aesthetic sports, all of those things have this focus on image, um, and and power to weight ratio and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then even like recognizing that outside, um, you know, coaches, uh, can influence you as well in their, um, you know, the things that they kind of tell you. And I, I would say in the, when we're looking at, um, you know, who an athlete respects most, oftentimes it's their coach and they're going to listen to whatever their coach says. Um, so the coach has a really big influence on an athlete in regards to, um, potentially development of an eating disorder or getting an athlete into a redness situation. So, so I think it's important to recognize that there's, there are things that every individual faces and then sports specific things that athletes face pressure wise that can cause them to like be more prone to red S or eating disorders. Um, and I think that answers the first part of your question. And the second part of your question, um, was kind of like how this shows up, right? Like in, in sport, I would say it starts showing up as, um, you know, not adapting to the training responses that you're trying to get, whatever sport it is. Um, that's one thing that I see is like a big, big, big thing. Injuries, like injuries and illnesses cropping up all the time, um, becoming really frequent. Um, I see a lot of like, uh, mood issues and like maybe even motivation issues and like feeling kind of apathetic or depressed or irritable, like things that you weren't maybe experiencing before in sport. Um, and again, like it's normal to kind of have some ups and downs, but if it's this like drawn out, you know, just apathy towards sport and achieving things, then, you know, maybe, uh, it could be related. Um, like decreased strength, actually decreased muscle strength is something that we can see, uh, with red S, um, and, uh, decreased, like when we look at the endurance sports, decreased endurance performance. So I think that kind of goes hand in hand with like the decreased adaptations to training, et cetera. Um, those are some of the like performance consequences. And then as we were mentioning before, it'll show up physically in, Um, you know, you can have issues with heart rate, you can have, um, diarrhea, constipation, um, extensive gas bloating, et cetera, loss of a period if someone get is supposed to get a period. Um, and then we see, um, issues with like iron stores can be affected and struggling. I'm not saying that saying that that's fully red S, but we can see impacts on, um, your blood and your iron and your red blood cell production, um, cardiovascular effects. I've seen athletes develop high cholesterol due to, um, having red S, uh, uh, and then looking at, like I said, irregular heartbeat or really, I want to clarify, like you can have, it's normal to have a, for oftentimes normal for athletes to have a lower resting heart rate, but in a red S situation that can actually be quite dangerous. Um, so just looking at like, 
Are we looking at extreme low resting heart rate? What context are we looking at this in? Um, bone stress injuries, um, uh, decreased bone density, um, just putting some things out there for people to think about, you know, as, um, as, as markers of red S. Oh, and another one I want to mention is thyroid issues. So I've seen a lot of athletes be diagnosed with hypothyroidism, but it's not necessarily true hypothyroidism. I've had quite a few athletes I've worked with that were put on meds for thyroid issues, worked on their fueling and thyroid normalized and they were actually could be off the meds. So that's a big one that I think athletes need to be aware of. I like always getting a, you know, full thyroid panel when I'm looking at some of this stuff. Yeah. Thank you for all of that. I found myself nodding literally for five minutes there, just uh, <laughs> agreeing with everything that you said. And I really want to emphasize what you said before all the symptoms uh, side of this equation, but it's kind of this combination of like, Hey, athletes innately have this like internal pressure that they put on themselves. I think that's just within most people. Um, and, and it's that, that, you know, can influence a lot of decisions and make them want to go above and beyond and, and, you know, go the full mile to do whatever it takes to get to where they want to be or to whether they're, uh, reach their full potential or whatever it is. But the thing that I feel like also exacerbates sometimes exacerbates that sometimes is what you said is like this external influence as well, right? Like that, I think that can bring the worst out of what people are already thinking, um, coaches especially. And I think it goes to, uh, show that like your inner circle and who you're around and, and whether it's intentional or not, like, I think, I don't think coaches have ill intent doing these things and coming across, but it's when they don't realize that they're doing more harm than good. Like that, that sucks, especially for the athlete. Um, but the athlete doesn't know different. And then when you have like your inner circle, maybe it's not even a coach, maybe it's your fucking mom, right? Or maybe something she's been dealing with forever, your parents, and they're inflicting their beliefs onto you of this already kind of, you know, uh, thoughts and beliefs that you're internalizing. That's what brings it out and, and makes this maybe even more difficult than it needs to be. Um, but a lot of times, like, yes, yeah, social media sucks. You read blogs, you go on Reddit, like you go to threads, like you read stuff and you hear other people's opinions, but it's almost like, people and, and things that are more close to home are, are going to have a big influence on you on how you think um, for best or for worse too, right? Like those are also, if you have a coach like Kylie or somebody who's really like, um, you know, uh, neutral with a lot of these things and thinks critically and helps you um, understand like what the hierarchy of importance is when it comes to your training and how to fuel and how to, you know, periodize what your training structure might look like. That's goes and just speaks to the power of having a really good coach and seeking out one. If you don't think that you have a good one right now, or if you find yourself kind of in this bucket that we're talking about where you're struggling with, you know, how you think you have a terrible relationship with food. You have all these symptoms that are arising with your training because of what you're doing to your body, right? You're just asking your body to do more without some of these resources and something is going to give eventually, right? So if you're stuck in this space, it might take challenging, like what are your current thoughts and beliefs around this stuff? What kind of uh, other opinions and people are you listening to that might be influencing how you think about this kind of stuff? Um, and then asking yourself, like, am I in a better spot or am I getting worse? And then what needs to change because of that? Right. So I just wanted to hit that hard because I think that's the power of like hiring people, having people around you. If you don't have the ability to hire somebody that could just put you in the best position to you know, continue to make progressions and strides and whatever it is that you're working towards, but also making that sustainable and like 
healthy as well, right? Because there's an unhealthy side to this whole performance nutrition, this just general health kind of part of this equation that a lot of people struggle with for years, right? Not just like temporarily, but years people can go through this shit. So thank you for pointing that out. Mm -hmm. I love that. And then kind of building on that, it's like, okay, maybe we have all of these symptoms, right? And again, you said it like, this is going to look different from person to person. Somebody might present with, you know, thyroid issues. Another person might present with higher lab markers and certain things that we don't want to see. Some people might be having more stress fractures or might not be progressing at a rate in which you think they would be progressing in their sports or whatever it is. Um, you know, maybe it's lack of recovery or you're always super sore or you're always fatigued, or maybe you're losing your motivation to actually train and continue doing what you're doing. Something that's so close to your heart. Like, there's so many ways that this can present and there's just a different variety of how these things can like, you know, compound together. But let's say we have somebody it's like, okay, yep, I have this check, check, check. What's kind of the next step? Like, I know you mentioned like, Hey, maybe traditional Western medicine might not be as uh, equipped to like handling. And again, not to say everybody's like that, but maybe you go to the doctor and then you get something else that just, you know, makes you more confused or more frustrated because there's no answers that are actually being given. But is there like a, a next process where it's like, Hey, I've acknowledged that I have all these things. What should I do next? Like, is there, is there something that you would kind of recommend to somebody who's listening to this? That's like, Hey, I think I'm in this boat, but I don't know what to do about it now. Like, what would you say to that? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's really important if you suspect that you have red s uh or an eating disorder to try and get professionals on your side that are going to help you with this and like you said even if you feel like you can't afford to like hire somebody to help you with nutrition coaching or something there are other options like we just put on a um full it's called fully fueled it was a master class series and it was all about you know recognizing and then how do i fuel myself or get myself out of this red us situation, um, and, and move forward, you know? And so like trying to figure out, is there a way that I can, you know, get some help, professional help for myself with somebody that is more of an expert in this space? Um, because if you try to do this alone, sometimes it's not going to, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult to maybe figure out. Um, uh, because the one thing that, people don't really realize is to recover from red S sometimes you actually have to eat more than your calculated or your like predicted uh, nutrition uh, in order to recover. So think of it as like you were, your body kind of dimmed the lights on your system. So it's in this underfueled state and you have to jumpstart the whole system again in order to jumpstart that system. You've got to have enough coming in to like, allocate to all those systems plus run like the things you know the way that you were running so you need like extra to get to get it going in the proper manner again not forever um but temporarily and people start to freak out about that because then they're like well what about weight and like what about you know body composition and all that stuff and and you 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 gotta you gotta throw that out the window. This is like your health that we're talking about. Your systems are shutting down, <laughs> so um, we we kind of have to shift our focus uh, in that situation and and take it seriously. Because I, I would say you know this is a health condition. It's a medical condition, and if you don't correct it, you can end up doing like long term harm to yourself. Um, so 
so yeah, I mean, I, I would say <laughs> not to, you know, say that everyone like to promote ourselves, Luke, but like dietitians that know uh, how to help athletes get out of a red ass situation or that work with eating disorders or whatnot, like make sure you have somebody in your corner that is familiar with how to help someone like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just listening to you say that it's just brings up this, like this point that this is very complex, right? And it's not this, like, like you say, you're using the dimmer switches an example. It's not like, okay, you acknowledge this happened. So let's just turn the dimmers up, right? It's going to take time and it's going to look different for your situation compared to somebody else you might know through that's going through something similar. Um, but what I really want people to understand is like, if what you were doing and the way you were approaching your health and your performance and your nutrition and your training, like if what you're doing was working, like you would not be in this position where you're questioning, like what the fuck is going wrong? Right. Or why, why am I not seeing the progress that I'm seeing? I mean, why am I regressing in certain situations? Um, so I want people to understand that like, Hey, the approach that maybe you are taking is not conducive to you reaching, you know, the goals and outcomes or whatever it is that you're working towards. And as difficult as it's going to be to change that and to reframe all that, that's what's actually necessary. Um, and again, that's where Kylie said, working with a professional, like getting a therapist on board, finding a doctor or somebody um, that you can, you know, talk to openly and, and work with this like interdisciplinary team. Like a lot of time, that's what it takes to like get out of this spot. Um, and I just, I, I don't want to make that seem like it's this big daunting process because it's a productive process and it's fucking worth it. If it, if this means something to you and if you're going to make meaningful differences and meaningful strides going forward. So unfortunately the reality of it is, is like, it's going to take getting help from other people. Like you're not going to pull this out on your own. And maybe there's some progressions that you could make by, you know, on your own by eating more or trying different things or training a little bit less. Yes. There's at some level stuff that you could do to help that, but it might take a lot longer than what you think. And it might take an extra set of eyes or three sets of eyes that are looking over you and ensuring you that you're on the right track. Cause you bet your ass that there's going to be some mental barriers and some mind fucks a lot away when you're trying to eat more calories, when you've been telling yourself your whole life that you need to eat less and survive on less. So, um, it's very joyful yeah. and very complex. So I just wanted to emphasize that it's not this like quick fix that you could just say, Oh yeah, I'm going to take this course and then I'll be magically cured kind of thing. Yeah, no, I love you said that because I I really should have mentioned the therapy piece because I think that that is honestly going to be an important component for a lot of people during the process. And also, um, you know, as an example, I'm working with a male athlete right now. Um, and it's like he said to me on his most recent check-in, like, I just feel like I'm eating all the time and this is really hard. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it is like, let's all acknowledge that it's going to probably suck and you're going to probably have to eat more than you ever have before. Uh, and there's no set timeline. And I get that question a lot. Like, well, is there going to be three months or is it going to be like, how long is it going to be? And I'm like, I wish I had a straightforward answer for you, but everyone is different. I've had athletes that takes over a year to come back. Um, and, and that might be hard to hear, but I want people to understand that it's not, there is no set timeline uh, for every individual. Um, and I will say the quicker that you give in and dedicate yourself to the recovery process, then it's more likely that you will recover more quickly. Because if you're only like 
dipping your toe in the water, it's going to take way longer. Like I'll have athletes try to maintain high level of volume while recovering from reds. And it like, it's, it doesn't always go over the best. It takes a lot longer then. Um, and if that's what you want, that's fine. But just being open to that, that it's probably going to take, you know, even longer than what you thought. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of, it just, again, brings up this like concept of, again, your recovery process might look different. And, you know, for some people it might mean completely stopping, you know, whatever it is that they're doing for a period of time. Again, it's not a forever type of thing, but as soon as we can wrap our brain around like, Hey, I have to make this temporary sacrifice in the best interest of what I want for myself in the future. Like that is the trade-off that people are going to make. That's really difficult because it's not something that you've been doing or have done before in your lifetime. And that's what makes this really difficult. But again, there's this balancing act between what is, what does our volume look like? Or at what level do we stop the intensity or the stop the training that we're doing and focus on maybe the diet or the nutrition piece or the recovery piece in order to propel ourselves forward? Because you might think that that sounds like a long road to recovery, but you bet your ass that that's actually the shortcut to where you want to be instead of like tiptoeing around this idea of, Hey, I'm just going to like, take it back a little bit easier. I'm going to eat a little bit more. Um, and then I'm just going to expect to keep making progress or not lose out on progress, which is, I think what a lot of people are afraid of sometimes. So, um, again, who knows what that situation will look like for you, but I think you have to be really, um, real with yourself and have honest conversations of like, Hey, this is going to take stuff that I'm not comfortable with. And that's usually where the best growth and progress comes anyway with anything, right? Like our business and your personal life and, and your performance for sure. And your work, like a lot of stuff that is uncomfortable is likely the thing that is going to be better for you in the long run. Um, and you're going to be damn proud of yourself for looking back five years later and being like, damn, I'm proud of myself for really stopping that. And in doing that, but it's just hard to see that in the moment, you know, and that's where us as coaches maybe come in and offer a different perspective and reassurance that, Hey, what you're doing is correct, but it's going to be hard as fuck. Okay. So don't expect this to be easy. Yep. Yep. And, and I think that's an important thing to, to emphasize too. We talked about it before in our, in our chat here, but like having team members in your court that are going to support you through the process. So if somebody is like doesn't understand the red s recovery process and they're doing things or saying things that aren't helpful to you then you either might have to have a conversation with them to set boundaries or you're might have to distance yourself from them uh for a time being or something you know i've had to i've had this conversation with athletes that you know have family members that make comments on how much they're eating or you know, coaches that make comments, et cetera. And you either have to have that conversation with them or also distance yourself from them or like uh, even friend circle too. Like I've had athletes like not be able to hang out with certain people because they aren't supportive in their, like the journey that they're on at this time. Absolutely. And the last kind of thing I want to pick your brain about and talk about is kind of this, uh, how, how eating disorders and even disordered eating patterns, because those two words are not interchangeable by any means, but how this might mm -hmm. feed into or put you more at risk for developing some of these, you know, energy deficiencies and things like this. Um, what are the difference between the two, like an eating disorder and disordered eating patterns? And then how would you say that that correlates or plays into this? And I know you don't have to have those to have red S or these, you know, energy deficiencies, but a lot of times 
these, you know, symptoms that you're experiencing come from some of the eating patterns that you have with your food and people struggling with, you know, these eating disorders and things that are, are, are really difficult. Right. So I don't know if that question makes mm-hmm. sense, but eating disorders versus disordered eating patterns. And does that have a correlation with red S and, and, and kind of just acknowledging the relationship between the two, if there is any. Yeah. So there's definitely, I mean, when we look at, um, when we look at red S, I think disordered eating habits and eating disorders fit into red S, you know, like they feed into red S. So, um, when we look at eating disorders, those are diagnosed, uh, conditions, uh, that are made, uh, by something called the DSM five. Uh, and those are made by a medical doctor or therapist. So, you know, a a dietitian cannot make that diagnosis. Um, and there are certain criteria that kind of diagnose the whole gamut of eating disorders. And so, um, I think, you know, you could have something the, the important thing to remember is like, you could think, oh, I only have some of these disordered eating habits, like things that like an over obsession with um, calories or uh, healthified foods, etc. Those are you might think those are only disordered. But if you went to a professional, they might diagnose you with an eating disorder. So I think it's hard for us to make that call like us as in ourselves to make the call as to like what's disordered versus an, versus an actual eating disorder. And an eating disorder is a mental health condition um, that is reca- causing us to do certain things with our, <clears throat> with our food, with our eating habits. Um, you know, it c- could be their examples being, <clears throat> sorry, you could have binge eating disorder where you're binging on foods and, um, also purging. So binging and then throwing up um, what you're eating on purpose. Um, you could have anorexia where you're really trying to control and count calories, um, et cetera. So there are different types of eating disorders um, that can be uh, diagnosed. Um, and um, I think it's important to recognize that like it's it's a very fine line between disordered eating and eating disorders and disordered eating could turn into a full blown eating disorder. Um, so if you find yourself, like, I think an important distinction too, is this, um, finding yourself thinking about trying to control your food in some way, a huge percent, it takes up your mental energy. It takes up a huge percentage of your day. Um, and that can be a red flag right there that like, wow, I am thinking about food all of the time, or I am thinking about, you know, what I'm going to do to control my food or manipulate my food or my body as well. I can't, you know, leave out the the body image piece either. Um, but like, what am I going to do to control these things? And with eating disorders, it's often, um, we know that it's often not about the food. It's about like, something else going on in your life, emotionally, trauma-wise, et cetera, um, that is causing you to turn to food as a form of control. Um, And, you know, I think an athlete being able to recognize that themselves when they are in the moment or experiencing, whether it's disordered eating or an eating disorder, can be really difficult. Like you might have 
family members that notice it or loved ones or something. And they might have a hard time, like even coming and approaching someone about it because they don't know the best way to approach that. So it's, I don't know if I fully answered your question there, but like, I think it is important for people to understand that um, it can be difficult for you to fully assess yourself if you have red S or if you feel like you have an eating disorder, disordered eating. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you hit on a really important point there. And it's just this idea of like, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of things going on in your life that influences the way you think and the way you feel about certain things. And then how you make your decisions around, you know, choosing to eat or to train or um, to think about certain things. And a lot of times it's the food or the nutrition component that's the vehicle that's being used to try and get to the destination of whatever it is that you're trying to get to. Maybe it's being more thin, maybe it's being faster, maybe it's insert whatever goal that you're, you know, thinking and is the most important thing to you. Um, and again, a lot of times, like you said, because that's one of the things that you have the most control over, right? And, and you think that by controlling that to a T that that's going to give you a better chance or get you to a place that you want to be, um, which again, you and I both know isn't always the healthiest headspace to be in. And a lot of times is doing more physical harm and mental harm than it is doing good, um, given the intent with which you're doing some of these things with, right? Um, and I think this is just one of the dark side of sports and athletics and pursuing whatever goals that you're working towards is like this um, over compulsion that you could have towards being a perfectionist with some of these things. And a lot of times, unfortunately, this shit goes undiagnosed, like whether you're diagnosed with an eating disorder or, you know, you have a disordered eating pattern, um, or even being diagnosed with red S or some of these other complications. It's like a lot of times those things go missed because people aren't actually aware that what they're doing is actually leading to something that is, you know, doing more harm to them than good. And, this brings up just another random question that I didn't expect to ask you today, but something that, you know, I'd love to hear your two cents on is like knowing that, Hey, there's some of these big words, eating disorders, disordered eating patterns, like they're kind of scary to think about. Right. And to think that we might have one of these things could be, it could be very difficult to like comprehend and internalize. And I'm, I'm curious if you think, and I feel like I know your answer to the question or your answer already, but do you think it's productive to like give somebody um, who's struggling with all these symptoms, like to diagnose them with something like red S like to give the diagnosis, like, Hey, you have red S or, um, getting an eating disorder, um, kind of like, uh, label on them. Do you think that that can do harm in certain cases, or do you think that's beneficial? Um, do you think it's really necessary regardless of what that might do to the individual knowing that, Hey, the long-term plan is to get better from that. But I'm curious if you think it's productive to give people labels with some of these things that they're struggling with, um, and just kind of your, um, kind of your two cents on that and how you would maybe talk, go about talking with somebody about that if they did get diagnosed, you know? I mean, I think, I, I don't think it's, I do not think that anyone should be making a diagnosis unless they are yep. licensed to make a diagnosis. Um, I think that instead, especially like my colleague and I put on a um, class for coaches, um, which can also apply to like parents or loved ones, et cetera, on like how to approach if you have concerns about like underfueling or an eating disorder. Um, but just kind of expressing your concern for the person um, in the first place and why you're concerned about them. Um, you don't want to 
judge or kind of criticize someone or um, make them feel terrible about themselves. Um, but make sure, you know, you are being direct, uh, concise, et cetera, but just expressing your concern for that person. Um, and, uh, recognizing that at first it might not be received well, um, cause you know, no one necessarily wants to be told that, Hey, I I'm concerned that you might have read us or I'm concerned about, you know, these, uh, you're, that you're eating less and you're training more and having this fatigue or that you've lost your period. I'm really concerned as your coach that you've lost your period. Um, so, you know, it's, it's something that, um, I think can, it can be a very difficult conversation to have, but I think it can be a very important conversation to have. I just think making the diagnosis is not something you want to do. Absolutely. <laughs> Unless you're, you know, and actually a therapist and have evaluated the person or a doctor and have evaluated the person. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's where I was going from. Thank you for clarifying that. Cause like, you're not going to get a diagnosis from Kylie that you have an eating disorder. That's just never going to happen. Um, like myself and mm -hmm. ideally along with every other coach out there, um, that maybe you're working with, or maybe you're listening to, um, they are not qualified in most cases to say, Hey, like you have this eating disorder, or I'm noticing this. So, you know, you, you have this thing and you should go get checked out for it. I love what Kylie said, where it's like, Hey, you know, as a coach, it's almost our responsibility to speak the truth and to, to, um, essentially help people look in areas that maybe they can't look themselves. I think there's some element of coaching where it's like, Hey, bring your attention to this or, you know, see a bigger vision for you than maybe what the client or the person can see. And again, that's where our job and that's where good coaches come into play where it's like, you're, you're going to be challenged by us, or you're going to be challenged by Kylie. And she's going to, she's going to tell you the truth. And she's not just going to be your friend and, and feed into the things that you already believe in. That's ideally why you hire a coach or a therapist or a doctor in the first place is to be able to you know, take, uh, not criticism, but just take information and use that to, again, make decisions that are pro health and pro yourself. Um, instead of hiring somebody that's going to tell you what you think you already know kind of thing. Um, and again, it's like, I think a lot of people, they don't really identify with having a disordered eating pattern, even maybe when they do have it. And, and I was asking because like, sometimes like I've seen, and again, I knew you're going to say, Hey, it's, it's all individual. And it's going to depend on the person, but like giving a label might give some life to some of these things that could be the impetus for somebody to make a change on that for other people. It might be a more harmful thing and more harmful information in the beginning. So like teetering around that and, and coming up with an action plan, that's not full on saying like, Hey, you have this bad problem and now we need to fix it immediately kind of thing. Being able to take a more of a proactive approach and meeting the person where they're at is definitely going to be warranted in that situation. So, um, again, I just, I don't know. I think the labeling thing, it's very difficult. And you even see that with people with comorbidities, pre-diabetes, diabetes, heart disease, like kidney failure, everybody internalizes that differently. But the point I'm trying to make here is like, I really just want people to, um, become a little bit more comfortable and not, and I'm treading water lightly here, but just not be so offended or, or so pissed off. If somebody tells you something that you don't agree with in the moment immediately. And again, there's an element of you being like a decision maker for yourself and taking these inputs, you know, with, um, um, you know, different, you know, levels at a sense, but sometimes like the hardest shit that we need to hear has to come from other people because we can't have that conversation with ourselves. 
whether we know that that needs to happen or not is a different story. But um, I think that's just the power of coaching and seeking out support, especially with people in these situations, because unfortunately, they're going to be the biggest advocate for yourself when maybe you haven't been able to been the best advocate for yourself or got you to a place that maybe isn't in your best interest. So having other people with your best interest in mind is always going to be really fucking important. So long monologue, but yeah, thank you for answering that. I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to get, but I, I just wanted to talk about that for a <laughs> sec. Cause that was on my mind. <laughs> yeah, of course. So I, I think, I think that's it from my standpoint. Is there anything like you wanted to throw in last, um, anything that comes to mind? I feel like we covered a lot of it. And, um, the thing that yeah. I think, I think answers like, well, what's next? Like, how do you solve some of these things? I got to plug Kylie because she has, like she said, a mastermind or a master class. Um, she's an amazing coach or she has resources that people can, you know, um, uh, she can refer people to. Um, so I have to plug Kylie for that. But um, yeah, I'll leave the floor to you if there's any last things you want to say. But I think from my standpoint, everything is good. And then I'll let you plug yourself after that. Yeah, no, I just want to want to kind of point out that um I think there's a lot of shame involved in this space. Um, people, it, it's hard for people to, um, to maybe be diagnosed with one of these things like red S or an eating disorder, or recognize that they have disordered eating um, and, and being and exploring that for one thing and then being okay with like, okay, this is, this happens to other people. Like I'm not alone in this process. I can come back. I can recover from this. Um, there's a lot of shame in it. And especially, uh, in the male population, uh, I think a lot of males that I work with, um, they, they just don't want it to be a reality. <laughs> and they also think that it's going to solve itself overnight. And, and, and again, going back to the conversation we had earlier, like it takes time to recover, but whenever I see my athletes come back from these situations, it's so rewarding because I know, um, I know that they're going to be in the long term. they're going to be better off in the end. And, and so there might be some shame involved. That's okay. Um, that's where also having a therapist on board can be really helpful for any of these like feelings that come up during a process of recovery. Um, and I think like navigating that with somebody else, as a support system can be really helpful, which is oftentimes why we, uh, as dietitians, will request that you have a therapist if you're coming back from red S or you have an eating disorder, um, because a lot of feelings are going to come up. But I just want to emphasize that, like, it's okay to feel things uh, that maybe you haven't felt before, or feel a certain way about, like, how did I get myself in this spot, etc. But like, there are people that can help you move forward and be kind to yourself. Um, um, so that's my spiel on that. And then, uh, if anyone wants to learn more, I, I feel like our fly nutrition, uh, account on Instagram does a pretty good job of, um, you know, talking about underfueling and red S and educating, um, athletes. You don't have to be an endurance athlete. Um, but that is the big population that we work with. Um, and then flynutrition.org is their website. Thank you for all that. Great way to finish that. Yeah. It's, uh, 
something I couldn't agree more with a lot of stuff that we've talked about on the show before. So thank you for wrapping it up that way. And I will plug all your links and everything in the show notes. So people will be able to find you there. Just want to thank you again so much for coming on today. I thought this was an incredible episode and I know, I know some people are going to appreciate it too. So thanks so much, Kylie. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.